The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. I have a number of points of information I need to, to give out to all the congregation. This is going to be a largely a repeat of the email that you received, unless you didn't receive it. So check your inbox, check your, your junk mail, but it's possible that you didn't receive it because we don't have your contact information. And if that's the case, we would love to invite you to contact the church office, the information's on the website, and let us know either, either for the first time or to give us the current contact information, phone number, email, that sort of thing. We have a number of things I need to kind of make everybody clear about. First of all, we're going to be meeting like this for the foreseeable future. We don't know how long. Um, We're going to continue to do this as long as the government guidelines allow us. And I wanted to make a comment about who is here because during this last week we heard some people ask, are you actually holding a worship service? Because I think the microphone picks up some background noise. Well, there are currently one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine of us in this room in the whole gym scattered appropriately. And so no, we're not actually holding a worship service. We're just having people here who are necessary for the, the putting on of this. So we're not actually wanting people to come, but some are here from, out of necessity's sake. So stay at home and enjoy the fellowship here. Why are we doing it like this? I mean, couldn't we all just come if we're not worried about getting sick? Couldn't we all just come if we're just saying, I'm, I'm a young person, I'm not, I don't think I'm at risk? No, we're not gathering because of really the, the principle of love of neighbor. Even if you are personally not concerned or you are personally not thinking that you're at high risk, others around you may be, and this is part of the whole community effort to not spread this. So out of, at least out of love for neighbor, if not out of personal wisdom for yourself, stay home, please. So that's why we're meeting, and for how long, we don't know. You might have seen an announcement, and it will probably still be out there, about baptisms on Easter. I think Easter is probably in question whether we're going to gather for Easter, but we're going to keep that announcement out there just in case, and if you are interested, contact the office just in case, but it may be that we are not gathered here and that that won't actually happen. We're aware of that. You also notice uh, in the email that you received uh, a point about giving. Giving is still an important way that we worship God and trust him with our finances and with our lives, and of course the, the needs of the church still go on. So there is a way to give online. You can see that on our website, or of course you can mail in checks to the office. And related to giving, We also recognize that some people either in our church body either have or perhaps shortly will lose jobs or lose work. And if that's if that's you or somebody that you know, we want to hear about that. We have a we have numerous ways that the church can be of help to the people in the body. Of course, one can help another just just as well as the whole church body can, but we have a a particular way that we love to do that and want to know. That's the benevolence offering that we receive and then dispense, we want to know. Sometimes we don't know, so let us know, honestly. We we know we will have needs and we want to be able to meet them, but we have to know about them. So in fact, relating to to contacting the church office about information or contacting the church office about uh, benevolence needs, we want to make everybody aware that the church office is still open, the church staff are still working, the church is still functioning in a number of ways, We invite you to contact, to call. Um, We can actually even meet with people as as long as we do it in small numbers and in socially distanced ways. 
but we have done that and, and can continue to do that if, if need arises. And of course, we can meet over the phone, online, we can trade emails, that kind of stuff. So please do contact the church office. Feel free to contact staff and elders. And in fact, the elders are in the process right now of calling through the church directory to, to kind of touch base with everybody to find out how are you doing, what's going on. Related to, to gathering together, though, there is, there is a reality that the ministries of the church have been shut down in a, in a face-to-face present way, but a number of folks have already begun to experiment with some of the things that were mentioned in the email you received, virtual ways to connect. I know, that, uh, some, I know of a group of women who met yesterday via Zoom to pray, and it sort of worked. Surprisingly, if you have your eyes closed and you're only talking one at a time, it works. <laughs> um, so there are ways... T- to meet virtually, perhaps you know of some, some were suggested in the email. Um, I'm not a tech person, so I would not be the person to ask, but others are. And we are meeting that way, virtually, and we're also trying to encourage people, you know, the phone still works too. Call people. Maybe people that you haven't seen in a little while, give them a call, see how they're doing. We would, we would love to see that grow in our body, and perhaps this might even be a unique time for, for relationship to grow in different ways. And This might be a beneficial time for us. And lastly, I want to say, don't forget to pray. A piece of last week's sermon was a prayer, Lord, do good to your people. Don't forget to actually pray like that and to ask God, not just for him to do good to his people, but for him to intervene in the situations that we are facing, which are numerous, complicated, and serious. God wants us to pray. God answers prayer. So pray. Pray for maybe some things that are obvious. Pray for ill people. Pray for for their health. And also pray that God would use this to draw people to himself, to awaken people. I'm going to preach about this in a little bit. He would use this time to awaken people to spiritual needs, the spiritual need that we all face. Pray for that. Pray for medical providers who are, are, if not quite yet in our state, maybe soon will be very, very stretched. And pray for their physical health, pray for their physical strength, pray for their spiritual Godwardness too, that God would draw them to him and and cause them to see their need for him. Pray for wisdom and grace in our land and in our leaders, and pray that this would be a time where, where really, I'm going to preach about this again too, Pray that this would be a time when God does something unique in our country and sparks even a revival. We want to be be real about that. God does sometimes use great social upheaval to awaken and revive his people first, to awaken us, and then to awaken a nation. Maybe he would do that. We should ask. So don't forget to pray. All these details are things about how we can connect with each other, how we can how we can meet needs of one another, but we should be aware, I'm going to preach about this next week, if the Lord doesn't build the city, we labor in vain. Pray. So, thank you. You have kept count of my tossings, put my tears in your bottle, are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know, that God is for me. Let's pray. Most gracious and loving Heavenly Father, amidst what feels like daunting days ahead, rising anxiety, 
increasing uncertainty. Lord, when our world maybe feels like it's falling apart around, part around us, God, you deserve all praise. For we know that you have overcome the world. We praise you because you are gracious and merciful, abounding in steadfast love that we don't deserve. You draw us near when we have pushed you away. And you continue to work in all things for, your good, for our good and your glory. Lord, we acknowledge our t- dependence on you. Recent events have reminded us how powerless we really are. And we know nothing happens in your creation that you have not ordained that is beyond your control. We may not be able to make sense of our present circumstances. And in many ways, we rejoice that we are unable to understand the ways in which you work. But Lord, we know all things are in your hands and were written before the beginning of time. Though the earth feels like it might be shifting beneath our feet, sometimes quite literally, we know that you sit on your throne where we will conti- you will continue to reign forever. And we humbly trust in you and ask that your will be done in our lives. We know your perfect love casts out all fear. And we pray that love upon those who are burdened now. Where there are basic needs that need to be met, we pray for your provision, Lord. For those in our congregation who are battling illness or will battle illness in the near future, pray not only for their healing, but for them to find comfort in you. Would you provide for them physically and spiritually in their time of sickness and suffering? For those who have rising anxiety over employment situations, would you provide direction, build in them hearts that trust in your sovereignty? Father, for those who might be struggling with relational conflicts, or are battling feelings of loneliness and the present calls for isolation, would you comfort them, strengthen them, as you draw them closer to you? Father, we pray especially now for those who are caring for the sick, for the medical professionals risking their own health and safety to care for others. Would you give them strength and endurance? For those seeking vaccines and medications for the coronavirus, would you grant wisdom and resources? Lord, you are the great physician with power over creation. We pray that should it be within your will and purpose, you eradicate the threat of this virus once your will has been done. We repent of our feelings of self-sufficiency and pride that create fear in us when we're threatened in times like this. This time where the world um, has maybe temporarily stripped things away from us, would you identify for us that which maybe we've made into idols in our own lives Demanding our attention and devotion, would you draw us back into communion with you through repentance? We thank you that though we are sinners who daily wander from you, through your mercy and grace, you sent your son as atonement for our sins, so we could be called into relationship with you as sons and daughters. We pray that though we are not able to physically gather together now as a body, your spirit would continue to knit us together as we worship and lift up your name from our respective homes as we support one another in hard times and demonstrate a love for our neighbors in the manner you modeled for us. And as we unite in prayer, lifting one another up so that we all might draw closer to you, Father. You are faithful forever. You are perfect in love. Lord, you are sovereign over us. And for this, we give you all the praise and glory you deserve. We ask that you fill our mouths with laughter, our hearts with joy, knowing that your promises are our delight, and that you have indeed done great things for us. We pray that you would speak now through your servant Steve in this time and open our hearts to what you would have us here. We pray that you would be with this congregation, be with your people all over the world. Lord, we pray this in your name. Amen.
Can I ask somebody to close those doors? The light is hard. Someone on Tuesday asked me if this was the end of the world. And I said quickly, no, of course not. And then on Wednesday, we had an earthquake, which makes you pause for a second, doesn't it? The answer, of course, is still no, but it makes you pause and think and realize that actually a more thorough answer might have been, no, none of this gives us any reason to think that this more than any other time is the end. There's no unique reason. But it all should make us think, you know, there is an end. In brief, the Bible makes clear that none of us can know when the end of the world and the ensuing judgment of God will come. Events like earthquakes and plagues and wars aren't clues in some intricate Bible puzzle that we're supposed to try to figure out. And if we get it all ordered properly, then we can understand the, the end is now or then. Earthquakes and plagues and wars are a constant part of life, not a unique sign. The things, though, that should make us realize that we are smaller than we usually like to think, a whole lot less in command of things than we want, and a whole lot more vulnerable than we are comfortable with. An invisible virus takes away our breath and the ground beneath us rumbles and rolls. Not to announce that this is the end, but to declare that we are not in charge and that this world belongs to another. And that one day he will come and establish his visible reign over it completely. Consider that. That's how we should respond to these types of current events, thoughtfully, sober-mindedly, and expectantly. Something is coming. Which is where Psalm 126 comes in. Though perhaps at first it doesn't seem to, because maybe you think about and you listen to what I was just saying, maybe what you expect is something about judgment or about end times or about apocalyptic imagery, something like that, but none of that's here in Psalm 126. But what is here in Psalm 126 does catch on to the idea that something is coming and it invites us to, to draw near to consider it for our joy so that we don't miss it ourselves or overlook it and so that we think carefully about how to help others not miss it or overlook it. So Psalm 126 is about what's coming, but begins first with what has already come, and through it all is a, a constant thread of joy. Not judgment, actually. Joy. Let me read it and draw two observations from it. Psalm 126. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, 
we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Psalm 126. Two observations. Here's the first. Remember the joy of God's great saving works. Remember the joy of God's great saving works. Verses 1 to 3, the people of God are looking backwards to when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, looking back to that time. And Zion here, unlike last week, Zion is not the literal hill in Jerusalem, but again, like we talked about last week, often Zion is used to refer to the entire people of God, and that's what it's about here. The whole people of God, God's people were restored. Their fortunes reversed. Or you could say they were renewed, or they were delivered, or they were saved. All kinds of different words, all meaning the same basic thing. They were renewed, delivered, saved. And since it doesn't actually literally say from what, this could fit a lot of contexts. But almost certainly it's referring to the restoration of the people back to the land of Israel after they'd been exiled away from it. This, this great exile, it was the worst of all possible disasters for a nation. They were invaded conquered, and most of the people in the country either were killed by starvation, killed by war, or carried off as captives. The, the nation was emptied out of people, it was destroyed, the cities were torn down, and they were, perhaps worst of all, exiled away from the presence of God, cast away from God, made alone those who were still alive. And so, when the Lord restored our fortunes, reverse that, we were like those who dream. You've you got to feel this here. We were like those who dream. This is, pinch me. Am I awake? Is this real? I can't believe it. I dare not hope this is happening. This has been beyond our wildest dream, our make-believe, fairy-tale ending, pie-in-the-sky hope. Are you kidding me? Sort of dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter. He's not saying, that was a nice day. Filled with laughter. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Shut up, we're going back? The Lord is delivering us, saving us? And our tongue full of shouts of joy. This is the best thing ever. Shouting. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. My whole life I've lived as a slave in Babylon and you're telling me we're going home? We're going back to the land? We're going back to the city? It's ours again? It's, our, it's delivering to us? It's giving to, are you kidding me? That kind of 
shouting, exuberant, laughing, excited, delighted, joy. It was like we won the lottery, the sweepstakes, the Super Bowl, the World Series, the World Cup, the championship, the election, got married, had kids, got a job, got promoted, inherited an estate, all on the same weekend, blown away, can't believe it. Joy. This is good fortune like no good fortune ever. And even the nations all around, this is the end of verse 2 here, these are all the non-people of God all around watching what's happening, seeing the political events turning, watching the people sent back home, paid to be sent back home, given money to rebuild. Even people around say, that, that is, wow, I cannot believe. Their God must have done something amazing. Was it the Lord Yahweh? This Yahweh, they didn't do that. Their Lord has done some great things for them. And we agree, indeed, the Lord has done great things for us, and we are glad. This first part is three verses long, and it has four phrases of exuberance, expressing how the people of God feel, like those dreaming and filled with laughter and shouts of joy and gladness. It is not hard to see the emphasized emotion here pouring out of this and to see why. They are overwhelmed with joy from God's saving work on their behalf in the past. The psalmist is looking back and is taking his readers, those who would read this and who would pray it, he's taking them back with him, these other faithful people of God, and saying, do you remember? Do you remember? Because they're not there right now. This is verses 1 to 3. As, as we're going to see, the second half of the psalm makes clear that right now there is a sense of hopelessness and tears. That's coming. We'll talk about that. But they're not there right now. So he wants in this first part to say, do you remember when the Lord restored our fortunes? It was the best, most astonishing most joyous reality that we ever could have dreamed up, and it happened. We lived the dream. And this is what we have to do with this psalm in part today, us. And this is why it can be so helpful to us. That we read this, and we don't read about what they experience. We read this as every person of God is supposed to be we're supposed to read this and take it and use it for ourselves and see in it something. Let it call to mind for us the great saving work of God on our behalf. Not instead of this, this too, because if you're a Christian, you're part of the people of God. This is our history too. This is, this is part of our story. But this is an old part of our story. So we, we use this psalm to remember all of God's great saving works for us. When, when God has restored our fortunes in any and in every way, we see in it something about God. When God has acted and done good and, and often tangible things to deliver us, to restore us, to fix us, but most particularly... Most particularly, when he restored us from exile away from him, when he redeemed us in Christ. 
God has acted in Christ to set you free from the snare that your enemy had you in. He had captured you and taken you, and he has broken you free. God has broken you free from that. And as you consider that, that exile, that death, that captivity, and freedom from it, the joy of your salvation controls you. Just like this. Doesn't it? Doesn't it? I mean, how I was earlier there. Joy! That's, that's how we are all the time, right? Not quite. We need to think about that a little bit. The great works of God in sending Christ to restore our fortunes are, in fact, the most joyous thing imaginable. If you understand the truth about what our fortunes were, what the fortunes of a person still are who is not trusting Christ. Without Christ's cross, we were rebels, alienated from God and utterly doomed, separated from him for eternity, doomed to suffer his wrath. And oftentimes, the problem with our joylessness is that we don't really get that. All of that. A crashing economy and a mysterious deadly disease actually do look and feel important to us. But eternal doom, even the phrase eternal doom, that seems like some religious mumbo-jumbo from some ancient book somewhere. Okay, yeah, but this is important right now. That's, that's how it feels to us. That's how, that's how it feels in the day-to-day walking around. But if you see, if you see and feel the gravity of what our fortunes were, then all of this comes into perspective. Ultimately, let me say this carefully, ultimately, you don't need a rising stock market and a vaccine. Now, do we pray for a vaccine? Absolutely. We just did. I will again today. Yeah, for sure, for sure, for sure. And do we want a rising stock market? Sure, a good economy, of course. Not just for our own pleasure, but because it helps people. We do want those things, but ultimately, I mean ultimately, you need the Lord to restore your spiritual fortunes, and God in Christ has done that. Answer the judgment, remove the guilt off of all who trust him by laying it on Christ, and remove the gap that existed between you and him and united you with him, even coming to dwell within you, Christian. You are forgiven, granted a seat at his table, brought up next to him like a son or a daughter, invited into the presence of the God who made all of this and who reigns over all of this, who makes molecules and makes the earth to shake. That God has brought you near called you friend, called you beloved, and says, I want to commune with you now and forever in good and in joy and in love and in hope. Come. That's what God has done for you in Christ. 
And in fact, if you only focus on just, I want to keep talking about this, because if you only focus on just, he removed off of me his wrath. That is critical and key, but that's not the most of it. He's removed off of you his wrath, and all of that brought near, put on his lap to commune with. That's the life. The wrath stands in the way of that. We want to remove the wrath so that we can have him and have him drawn up near and to have him like a careful architect say, here's what I'm doing. Or like maybe like a home renovator to say, here's how I'm going to fix, redeem, renew, restore you. Think about this. This is awesome. Think about this. If you ever pull up to any like home that's in need of a major renovation. You pull up on day five, it looks terrible. They just ripped the whole thing apart. It was bad to start with, and they ripped the whole thing apart. It looks terrible. If you show up on day six, it still looks terrible. Day 10, still pretty much terrible. Day 30, maybe a little less terrible, but still terrible. It's day 90 or day 120 when you begin to say, like, that's going to be beautiful. And then after six months, it's awesome. That's what God is doing in you. He removed off of you wrath. He removed off of you eternal doom so that what he could give to you is himself for eternity to give to you the image of God. God himself drawing near and then the image of God being renewed, rebuilt, restored in you. Your fortunes were wreckage. And he's reversed them. It's a process but he's reversed them. And so not only has the wrath of God been taken off, but he's in the process right now of every particular thing as you think through who you are, and if you're sober-minded and realistic with yourself, half the time you think through who you are, you say like, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. Sometimes I'm such a knucklehead, sometimes I'm such a wretch. Sometimes it's just, ah, I did it again. Sometimes it's, I did it again through tears. And what God is saying to you now, Christian, is come here, sit on my lap. I know, I see it. Let's fix that. It doesn't look much different on day five, six, seven, eight, ten, but it will. I'm at work to fix you, to restore your fortunes, to make you different. Every one of your troubles and every one of your idolatries that enslave you, the ways you're tempted to wander into suicidal activities, all the sin patterns and the pride, the addictions, the things you do that you just wish you didn't do anymore, but you do it anyway, all that I know, I know, I know, says your loving, good Father who was drawn near to you in Christ. I know, come here, let's fix it. This is the one who controls every atom everywhere and has drawn you near to control you for great, great good, to recalibrate, to fix, to pull out what's busted and, re, and re, put in a new part. This is the dream come true. People were made, if you go back to the very beginning, people were made to bear the image of God as creatures, not as gods, 
We're never gods. We're creatures created. But he made us creatures far above all the rocks and trees and far above all the animals. He made us people to bear his image, to resemble him in this creation that is clean and full and right. That's what he made. And that got wrecked on page three. And God in Christ has said, I'm fixing that. Pinch yourself. It's true. That has happened to you, Christian. It started. It's only day six or day 60 of the renovation project for you, but it is underway. You have been brought new, the wrath of God, eternal doom removed, and the renovation project in your heart begun. God has done truly great things for you. Do you realize that? The problem with joylessness often is that we don't realize that. We don't realize the true gravity of our condition before or the true glory of our condition now. And that's not even what it's going to become. But if we're honest, sometimes we'd find it hard to say, yeah, verses 1 to 3 are how I am every day, filled with laughter, shouts of joy. He's done great things for me. I'm living the dream. We must, like this psalmist is doing here, nourish the memory of that joy to experience it now. What he has done, remember, remember, remember. What he has done, what he is doing, remember. Must nourish that. What memories do you nourish? What thoughts do you ruminate on, devote your attention to? You could write verses 1 to 3 kind of like this. Way back when the Lord restored our fortunes. That back then, yeah, wow, that was, those were the days. Those were the good old days back then. You could say it like that. And that sounds honest. Like an honest reflection of something God's done in the past. But oftentimes that's just hiding some form of nostalgic bitterness. Some sort of unbelieving disappointment. Back then was something. Now though is terrible. I mean look around. You could write the section like that. Because you're ruminating on the looking around. But the psalmist says, we are glad. He's kept it present. He ends verse 3. Yes, he did great things and we are glad. He's kept it present. He's nourished it. We can't just recite the truth and agree with it. We have to nourish it like the psalmist is doing here. So what are you nourishing and speaking into your own heart? Great things God has done for you. You are redeemed. And you are being redeemed. Christian, this is true of you. If what you feed your mind with, and and 
I have, I have done that the last couple weeks. I mean, probably beginning about Thursday last week, I've been like MSN addicted. Because there's always something new, always something new. And it is really easy to feed that to your mind. Oh, this shut down and that shut down, and they're predicting 20% unemployment. Oh, my goodness. And how many people might die if we don't do anything? How many? Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. If that's what you feed your mind with and ruminate on, it will seem insurmountable and gigantic. And at best, what God did in the past will seem nice, but right now is a disaster. What do you feed your mind with? I'm not saying cut yourself off from that, but take that and ruminate on, nourish God present in me to redeem. Both. But feed yourself with the truth about him and see this through that lens. If you don't, you'll be overwhelmed by it and joy will run away. But if you look at this stuff here through the lens of what God has done and what God is right now doing in me, the fact that I am living the dream with him and in him. This all takes on a different perspective. And you can step into it and say, oh, this is actually God at work in the world continuing his process of restoring my fortunes. I don't understand how. But I do understand the Bible has said, this is crazy, but true, that all things are mine. And when Paul said that in Corinthians, he even includes death in that. All things are mine. God has, holds all things in his hands, and all things are being used by him for his good purposes. means all things Christian are yours, being turned and planned and carried out for you, for your good in eternity. Life and even death is yours. This is what Paul says is astonishing. If you, if you grasp that, see that, then you can sit in the middle of a world gone crazy. Crazily, content with all things. It doesn't deny the reality, but content with it. And as you sit there with the world going, content with it, you're just a half step away from laughter. I can't believe this. I knew a woman who was in the Sears Tower when the planes ran into the Twin Towers and the Pentagon. She was in the Sears Tower, way up. And of course, everybody thought, we lived in Chicago at the time, everybody thought the Sears Tower is next. And panic ensued as the Sears Tower <laughs> tried to empty out. And as she was stuck in a mass of people going in abject fear, as she recalled, recalled and recounted later, said, I realized, I believe. And oddly, I had a little smile come over my face, a bigger smile in my heart. 
I believe. I'm okay. If, in fact, there are already planes inbound against this building, I'm not getting out of it anytime soon. I'm okay. I can't believe that. I'm okay. I believe. She's right there, just a half click away from Giddy in the midst of pandemonium. Now, people's emotions are different and how they respond to different things. I'm not saying that we, we should be walking around laughing right now, but I am saying there is something here about I recall, I remember the great things that God has done and I see what he's doing and I am glad right now. Well, as we're going to see, he's also weeping. He's sorrowing and rejoicing. Remember the great works of restoration and renewal that God has done. And second point, then, we are gospel ministers expecting God to again bring great renewal. We are gospel ministers expecting God to again bring great renewal. In verse 4, the writer pivots, if you will, from looking backwards, verse 1 to 3, to from the present moment looking forward. And it starts with a prayer of need. Notice very similar to what he said in verse 1. Verse 1 was, when the Lord restored our fortunes, and now he prays, O Lord, do that again, please. Restore our fortunes. We need that to happen again. Which might for a second seem confusing. You might want to ask, which is it? Verse 1 or verse 4, are you restored or not? It's confusing until you remember the constant cycle of Israel's history. All throughout the Old Testament, you see the people of God in need, some sort of problem or trouble of varying degrees, and then God intervenes to give them some sort of deliverance, to save them in some way, to renew their, their situation. And that is followed then very shortly after by more trouble that requires, yet again, more restoration and renewal over and over again. And of course, that is what happened with the great exile in Babylon. We preached about this a little bit back in December, leading up to Christmas in the book of Jeremiah, so you may recall that. But when the people were cast away into exile, and when they were brought back, restored, brought back to the land, the city rebuilt, the temple rebuilt, it was elation, ah, more trouble. And they found themselves again in need. That's the pattern of the life of the people of God in the Old Testament, and it is still the pattern of the Christian life, too. Because really, it's, it's all still the same story. We are dramatically in the last chapter of the story. We're at the end, but we're not at the end of the end. As we said, you know, Christ has come. This, this great restoration has happened already, but it's not yet completed. We, the renovation project is still ongoing. We're still in the fallen world that's all around us, and God still is in pursuit of his people. There are many other sheep that he is still calling and that he has not gathered in yet, but he's at work to do that. And in us, the renovation project is still ongoing. We 
We're, we're not fixed yet ourselves. And we, we live in a world here that's, that's very complicating and very challenging for us and very trying for us. And we are weak, prone to wander. And we look out at the world around us that disagrees. We realize this is a, this is a difficult place that, that we are not strong enough to handle. We are pilgrims here, far from home, troubled ourselves still within and facing trouble on the outside, and we need to have our fortunes restored now. We need revival. For us, revival starts in the church, and in the world, Build the kingdom up finally and fully. So we are at verse 4 still ourselves, praying, Lord, do it again. And he gives us two images here to explain or to show what that might look like when God does the great works of restoration. First, like streams in the Negev, that's the end of verse 4. The Negev is the southern area of Israel, the wilderness desert region. So the first image is depicting streams in the desert, which do happen very quickly, very briefly, when a sudden rain comes. Before the rain, there's nothing but a dry cut through the ground, kind of an evidence there. There has been a stream here before. There's a dry cut through the ground and unseen seeds in the ground lying dormant. And then the rain hits, and the wadis and the gullies fill with water, and suddenly the desert blooms, and there are grass and flowers there where there weren't. God restores the fortunes, and all we did was avoid the flash flood and watch, which is different than the image in verses 5 and 6, where explicitly we farm. We sow. We go out bearing seed for sowing. With tears and sorrow, because it's hard, hopeless, disappointing, frustrating, painful. But the farmer goes out, sowing the seed nonetheless, and months pass, and what happens? He shall reap with shouts of joy. He shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him, carrying the harvest in our arms. The harvest that God gave, fortunes restored. So two very different pictures, same general result. God bringing forth fruit, harvest, bounty from the ground. Something small that's buried, that pops up, brings life, abundance. Two different ways it comes. Suddenly and apparently without any involvement from us. Or on the other hand, slowly, very deliberately. With a lot of faithful hard work facing a lot of disappointment. But in the end, the prayer, Lord, restore our fortunes, it happens. That's the picture. And the point is, it happens. Notice the word shall in verses 5 and 6. Will. We look back and we see the, the great works of God that he's done to redeem his people. And we look back at verses 1 to 3 and we look back at the cross and we look back at his work of renewing us in our lives. And what we see there is a God who is committed, who has committed himself. I will, I will renew, I will redeem, I will build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. 
I will gather in all my sheep. I have other ones out there in the nations. I'm going to go call them. They will hear my voice and they will come to me. He's committed himself to do that. And then when they come to me, I've committed myself to sanctification process in them, to grow them up and to make them what they were meant to be, image bearers of God. I'm going to do that again and again. We look back and we see God promised and God began and God has carried out this entire process of seeking and saving the lost that Jesus began in person and which he is now continuing by the power of his Holy Spirit in and through us. He's using us now as his gospel ministers here in this world. Remember that phrase? I used that phrase when we were preaching through 2 Timothy to describe every Christian. Ministering, that is serving up in some way or another the good news, the gospel, of how God is saving people in Christ. To serve that up in whatever way is appropriate for our circumstances and our gifts. Every one of us, every Christian, is a gospel minister here in the world. And so all the while that he is working in us to grow us up and continuing the renovation project in us, he is also using us in the family business, so to speak, of gathering in all of his people, of restoring the big, wide fortunes of his church everywhere. He will seek out his sheep and call them, and he will save them, and he will not fail. And the process between where we are right now and the great end, when it all finally gets fully, completely restored, and all the people of God are gathered back, and we are all made completely right, and sin and fallenness and darkness is wiped off the world, and it is all made new. The process between now and then is ongoing, involves us, and shall succeed. Times of renewal from the Lord will come. So the other way we use this psalm is we pick it up and we look at verses 1 to 3 and we use it to nourish in us the ways that God has worked great things in, in us. And then we pick it up in verses four, 4 to 6 and we say, oh, and there is more to come. And you want to use me. Even if it's hard right now. And I go out to sow in sorrow through tears. And the two halves connect. How? I look back and I see what you have done and I see your character and then I see and know what you will do. And I believe that. I look back and it gives me evidence that there is more grace to come tomorrow. And I step into it in faith and in hope, rejoicing even if weeping. Because the work is hard. We take up this psalm and we say, God is going, God is going to for sure bring more times of renewal and restoring. Revival will come, sometimes through sudden work of God and sometimes through slow and faithful, difficult work of God. But it will come. And we have a part in that. To pray 
and to sow. To pray, God, bring this. God, do it. And you're praying right in the will of God. And then to minister this gospel in word and in deed with however your circumstances are, and this is a unique time for sure, that however your circumstances are, to minister this gospel, to serve it up to those around you and say, here, here's where life is, here's where hope is, here's where joy is. Right now is maybe, maybe what's happening right now is some sort of a pulling back of the covers to say, it has never been different. We have always been small. We have always been vulnerable. We have always been in need. But now, maybe we see it now. There it is. And maybe at a time like this, people are for the first time, or for the first time in a long time, caused to actually think about serious questions. Pray for that. Pray for the family and friends who are around you to actually think, to wrestle with serious things, and not just the serious things in the news or what the serious things behind those serious things are. I remember having a conversation one time with a guy, this was many years ago, and he was, in, he was a college student, and I had a conversation with him that, that surprised me because here I am talking about this, and I'm saying pray that people ask questions, but a little bit of me didn't really believe that it actually happens. And I'm talking to this guy. I just talked with him about the gospel the, the couple days before, and I, I'd shared with him, I think I've shared this story in other contexts, maybe you've heard this before, but I shared with him about Jesus, I shared with him about his need, I shared with him about everything we've already talked about this morning. And he said, meh, well, you know, okay, I'll track with that, okay, great. Anyway, see you later. And I thought, well, okay. And I prayed that God would in some way make that important to him, relevant to him. I saw him a few days later, and I asked him, just kind of by faith, like, so have you thought at all about what we talked about the other day? And he said, I can't sleep at night. He's a college kid. College kids have no problem sleeping. I can't, I just, he, was, he had the top bunk. He said, I lie awake in the bunk and I look at the ceiling and just think, who is God? And what is going on? It keeps me up at night. Yeah, I think about it all the time. Can we talk about that a little more? I thought, really? Really? Now, I would like to say that happens every single time I talk with somebody, every single time. It doesn't. But it does sometimes, that's the point. I have no idea when or how. I just sow the seed. You just sow the seed. And we just pray, pray, pray that God would say, hello. You're in a predicament. And there is a glorious, glorious, glorious answer to that predicament. One, only one answer. But it is glorious. Did I say glorious? And you don't have any idea what that answer is, do you? And that it would bother people. 
pray that God would, would move in people, would, would, would grab them, would shake them and say, what happens if you die now? What happens if you lose your job now? What happens really? Well, I guess the government will send me money. I guess there will be a vaccine. What if there isn't? What if they don't? What if it's not enough? Or what if it is great and glorious and fine, works out wonderfully, and 30 years from now you die? Then what? Make people think. Oh God, make them think, make them think. Make them ask. And then cause the seed sown to sprout. Because we are not talking about doom and gloom judgment. We have to talk about that. It's a reality. But we're talking about joy. Joy. Gladness. Giddy laughing. Mouth filled with shouts of joy. What God has done for me. That's what people could find. That's what people could know. That's what they could know. But do not. Pray that God would cause people to ask, to think, to wonder. And then pray that God would give you opportunities to speak or to in some way or another minister the gospel. And pray for revival then in the church and in the world. And be ready to give an answer for the reason of the hope that is in you. And people will ask because it's going to show, because you're going to nourish it, right? Obviously, all through this, this is the psalm written for the faithful people of God to speak to them. And I realize I've been talking as if I'm talking to Christians, but it's possible that you tuned in this morning because the people that I'm talking about, the people that I'm saying or thinking about this, or need to think about this, maybe that is you, in fact. And maybe you're listening now because God has already made you ask and you're looking. And if that's you, Here's the answer. God has done great things in Christ and in Christ alone, and God has done those great things to save people who surrendered him in trust, like we talked about last week, who say, I have nowhere else to go. I give myself to you. I am guilty before you, and I'm not going to try to claim otherwise. I need your forgiveness, and I need your renovation project to start now in me. I need a shield, I need a help, I need a defender, I need a leader. Please, here's me. Come to Jesus like that, and he will receive you and forgive you. Take control of you for your great good. It may, inv it may involve gutting the place first. What comes out the other side is glorious. He'll fit you for heaven and give you a stake in it. So trust Jesus and find life. Find your fortunes restored profoundly and deeply and forever. That's what God has done in Jesus and he offers it to you if you'll trust him. Let me pray. Lord, we're dealing here with your word and your word is dealing with great and serious, glorious things. So we ask you, Lord, would you do the work? All we can do is step out and pray and so 
You are the one that causes seed to sprout and life to come. You are the one who renovates the heart. You are the one who calls in your people. So please bring times of refreshing now. We pray that you would address the needs of the world that we are facing right now, all around the world, the entire world, facing health needs of all kinds of sorts as we have prayed. Please attend to those. We do not not pray for those. Please, Lord, provide a vaccine and in the meantime, provide safety and great wisdom. Heal, please. Protect, please. We pray for economics, not because we want to worship goods, but because people need things. So give people what they need, please. But as soon as I say that, we are reminded that what we most need is life in Christ. And so please, again, give people the joy, the joy found in Jesus Restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. Or like harvest come after a long time of difficult sowing and tending. Either way, bring life and bring Jesus again. We pray in his name. Amen.